Hello, my fellow Stoics, and welcome to the Stoic Sage Podcast. I am your host, Daniel Vargas. This podcast series utilizes knowledge and wisdom originating from ancient Athens, the birthplace of Stoicism created by Zeno himself, to empower those today with the goal of bringing about how to think rather than what to think. If you enjoy the show, please leave a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts, and remember to keep in mind that a Stoic should always test their mental impressions. Speak the truth as you see it, but with kindness, with humility. Marcus Aurelius. Hello, my fellow Stoics, and welcome to Stoic Short Talks, where I discuss high-profile topics candidly with the goal of helping people learn how to think. So, a couple of things have been, I guess, very high-profile, and I think it's appropriate that we discuss them, pass around ideas, spread wisdom. Maybe you learn something. Maybe I'll learn something. And, um, yeah, let's get right into it. The biggest thing that happened a couple of uh, weeks, a month ago, uh, is the whole Roe versus Wade being overturned. And obviously this sparked a lot of outrage, and justifiably so. Uh, there's you know, a lot of concern around what will happen next, or what uh, uh, larger discussion does it really open up. And um, yeah, there's just been a lot of debates and you know, there's a lot of things that I've also come across. I've learned a lot through hearing people talk about it and listening to debates as well. And like Stoics and the way that we should be thinking is not just looking at your own opinions and whether or not they are right or righteous, but also it creates a stronger foundation for your own beliefs when you argue for the other side. And also critique your own arguments. That's first and foremost one of the strongest things that you can do to gain wisdom and um, gain further depth into your own understanding of what is actually going on. Um, so the first and foremost, a couple of things is that I came to the conclusion of is uh, we really can't have an honest discussion about abortion if we cannot agree on the reality of what's going on. For example, science would say life begins at conception. And now this is a statement said by many pro-life activists, of course, who uh, m many pro-choice activists would claim it's an appeal to religion, which it's not necessarily a religious statement, though, but a true one that religious people tend to say. So those are already two different things, you know, and uh, again, this is something that we learn in biology class. It's, it's, it's science. It is not religion. How you feel about those two things are, are totally different as, you know, again, it's, it's how you feel about it, but we cannot deny the reality of that. And we, again, we can't have an honest discussion about it if we can't agree on that reality. Now, many pro-choice activists choose to see fertilization uh, or conception as just a sack of cells, less in a way saying, claiming that they're less than human. 
And logically, this is in a way just a, a scapegoat. It's an it's a scapegoat attempt to remove shame and guilt associated to abortion. Because the point, how however it is, whether or not you have the right to abort a life or a human, it, it's created at conception. That that's what science tells us. Now the now if we can agree on that. We can then move on to the second part of that discussion. Do we have the right to kill a human? It's not just a sack of cells. Science says that it, that it's a, a human, right? That it is life. How you define that life as far as if, if you want to add your own religious personal uh, or spiritual ideology to it, whether I, I hear arguments about, well, it doesn't have a soul. It doesn't have a consciousness. Like, okay, that's how you feel about it. That's what you think. But regardless, life has begun there. Whether or not you think it has a soul or a consciousness is besides the point that is your opinion. Science says that it is now a living thing that is beginning to form. That is what science will always tell us. How you feel about it individually is your is is up to you and yourself but we have to look at the facts when we do look at these kinds of conversations now again do we have a right to kill a human that's the big question should we have the indiv individual right to kill humans and what li limitations should there be if any and that's another thing too and the thing is un until we agree that the real choice is deciding whether or not we should kill humans at conception, we can't have an honest discussion on whether or not that human should be protected from conception and on. Because again, when I hear these discussions and these arguments, there always seems to be this beginning portion like, okay, we can't continue to move on if we keep debating about whether or not it's a life. Like, we can't come to a proper legal policy conclusion if we can't agree from the beginning and move on to the next part of the argument. We kind of conflate it together and it makes the conversation difficult. It makes the decision making for such policies to be created so incredibly difficult. And it'll keep this debate going and going and going. And yeah, it, 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 it is a moral, in a way, of this is a moral debate because whether you believe it is correct or not is different from somebody else's. But we, again, still have to agree on some objective facts before we get to whether or not it should be done, right? So that is what I've noticed about this Roe versus Wade thing, that, that there's too much um, debate on whether or not... Uh, it's actually a life or, you know, it's from conception, a sack of, or it's a sack of cells, whether or not it has a consciousness or a soul. That's besides the point. Those are all of your opinions. We have to agree first and foremost that science says that it is a life. So do, and uh, your opinions aside of your spirituality and your religion, do we have the right to kill that? Or does it have innate value or innate rights to begin with. That is where the discussion then takes place moving forward. Now, uh, and 
until we decide that real choice, it, it, it does make the conversation a lot more difficult. I think there's something to be said about what causes people to abort to begin with. I think that's a very important thing to also discuss because many people point out the financial hardship is, is a cause, which is a very valid and fair point. I completely agree with this. And if pro-life activists don't want people to have the right to abort, then we should socially address the issues why people are hesitant to give birth to begin with. That's another very, very big thing that, that we are refusing to acknowledge. I totally disagree with people just saying, well, no, that's not, a, that, that's not the question. That, or, that shouldn't be up for debate. It's like, no, but that is part of it because it it is the reality. Our individual lives impact our decision making. So we socially have to also determine what are the reasoning or the factors behind such decisions to begin with. I mean, at this point in time, um, women are ostracized by societal standards to begin with. I mean, we socially, whether you agree with it or not, uh, women past 30 are, are, are essentially seen as undesirable and having children is also looked down on. That's, that is such a big thing that we have to get through. Like when and why did we all agree that women should be ostracized for something that is kind of like a miracle? We all agree it's a it's a miracle. We all agree that it's an absolute like beauty, right? Women give birth to nations. That is women are the reason why we exist today. Why did that all of a sudden get ostracized? Why did we all of a sudden say that that's like like um starting families is uh, is looked down on? Like the, I I don't I don't understand that reality too, or, or, you know, the disdain with that reality. And if we don't have a genuine conversation about why women even, or people in general, like why we'd like um, for us or have that ability to have, a, have abortions, especially if you disagree with abortions, I mean, we're, we're never going to get down to resolving or what are the best course of actions to resolving this issue that we're running into. I mean, here's the thing. I, I've also noticed another another thing about abortions, and that's like capitalism, how capitalism plays into this. Even capitalism hinders the careers of women by not providing maternity leave or maintaining job security. It, again, if we addressed these issues, would we help address abortions to begin with? We obviously have an individual responsibility to maintain our own livelihood, sure. But we have a social responsibility to ensure women feel excited about giving life instead of making them feel like they have expired as women and as career builders. These are genuine conversations that we need to have socially as well as morally. Besides, we have to look at the reality of how things will be also if, the, if this does get removed. It won't be, first and foremost, like it won't be illegal everywhere. It just gives the states that power back. And no, the states don't have the power over your vote. 
so the people the people have more power to vote on what they want think about it like this let's say i'll give you an example let's say texans 85% of them are pro life why on earth should my vote and the millions in california and new york dictate what texans want that is not being just that is not acting with the virtue justice i should not have more power as far as my vote goes over people that don't want it currently at the federal level if texans want pro-life measures their vote would have to compete at the federal level with the east and west coast people to make any change is that just not only that but if if bills were to pass for more clinics for example more abortion clinics planned parenthood or something the federal grants get distributed based on population and region why do you think there are dead zones for women's health in rural america california needs more because of the population size right so there so there are so many other discussions beyond just roe versus wade being an abortion right there's so much more that we have to recognize and we have to recognize that because it's looking at the net positive instead of being divided by what the media is telling us remaining stoic and looking at the reality of what is and what will be those are my thoughts on on this whole roe versus wade thing i i think that we need to take a step back don't pick a side it's not it's not about it's not just about are you an activist on the right or are you an activist on the left remain in the center we both know that there are things on each side that are important we understand that but we have to look at the reality of what is being objective with what science says but also socially what is going on and why it's happening to begin with we have to look at those things because we can't just act like it's going to happen one way or another because even then most bills that do get passed i mean a lot of them do get passed on the extreme side of things but a lot of them get modified because they have to meet in the middle because once they get to two politicians and once they get voted on things get scratched out things get updated and not only that but when bills are passed they also get amended many times which stands to reason that it never is on the extremes to begin with so we have to remember that we have to remain center we have to remain moderate in our own opinions because again i can't think for everybody else and i don't think that what i think is fully tr- is fully morally correct or true just yet it's an ongoing debate we aren't there just yet i know that way back when um you know death and and killing was was like quite a normal thing and in your village if everybody just agreed to kill somebody because they didn't like them then they'd fucking do it <laughs> like but it's different now we now over the decades over the centuries we've had debates moral debates on what it means to kill somebody that's why there are also so many different laws now about regarding death now there's first degree murder second degree murder third degree murder manslaughter um what is it death by passion like there are many things that are now in place but we had to get the morality of it down 
We had to get the reality of why it was happening down for us to actually get to the point that we are today with regards to how we deal with killing, death, and murder. This is kind of the same thing. We have to remain moderate because it's not going to end up one way or the other. We all have to meet somewhere in the middle. And until we morally get together and discuss this and, and understand the realities and the facts of what is, we can then get to a better conclusion for what will be. But keep debating, my fellow Stoics. I know it's a really tough topic. And wherever you land, uh, whether pro-choice or pro-life or somewhere in the middle, it's important to keep talking. It's important to keep expressing your op opinions on it because we're all here because of, you know, the, those discussions amongst each other. That's why the human civilization has expanded as much as it has, because throughout all of the darkness that humanity has been through, we have had to go through some uh, heavy discussions as well. Treaties, debates, arguments, all of those things also had to take place. This is just one of those other things that we have to do. It must happen. So, and it doesn't make you any more right or wrong. You know, don't feel like you have to be on one side of the spectrum to feel right. Everybody's entitled to their own opinions just like you are. That is the just thing to do. So, just keep that all in mind when you are continuing these discussions in these topics. And as the Stoics would say as well, I know that there can be bleak uh, emotions associated to how the future will will be, right? I, I, I think um, The Handmaid's Tale or something is something that uh, um, gets brought up a lot. And I understand the direction that it could go in that, and as far as um, doing just that. But as the Stoics also would say, just know that whatever does happen, everything will be all right. Because it is within your own mindset, within your own mind, and uh, for you to control your own feelings and your own outlook of life. So that's for that uh, topic there. Um, this next one is the Great Reset, which is something that I had been hearing about a lot lately and um, it's one of those things that um, it sounds good on paper <laughs> or it sounds like this idea that oh well we're basically ridding the greed or removing the issues that plague us as humans right but I think it's so much deeper than that because, again, it sounds great on or sounds okay on paper. To be honest, I don't really and I personally don't really entirely agree with it, but it is, you know, a, a, a tough discussion to have nonetheless. <laughs> so this great reset is was found was brought up by the the World Economic Forum and essentially it is. It, it was a, a, a the fiftieth annual meeting um, that was held in June of 2020, and it essentially got all of the, a vast amount of expertise of the leaders engaged across the forums, uh, community, uh, yeah, co communities, and the 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 big thing was that 
They said that the pandemic represents a rare but narrow window of opportunity to reflect, reimagine, and uh, reset the world. And that's essentially what this whole meeting was about. In, in case you in, in case you didn't know about it, I do recommend you guys go and take a look at it. But essentially, at the very end of this conversation that they had, it was how should we move forward with the world? How do how should we review or view our uh, currency um, or ownership, private property, and laws, and and how laws are created amongst each other? Um, some conspiracy theorists would, would say that this is like where the, the new world order begins and whatnot. And essentially some big statements that came out that this is where I started to very much disagree with it, which was, um, you will own nothing and you will be happy. And that statement in of itself is kind of, you know, it, it goes along with private property and whether you or whether or not you should own your own private property. Uh, there was a couple of videos that I had saw when I dove into it a little bit more and some ideas that came out of that about the whole you will own nothing and you will be happy deals with we don't really need anything per se as part of the human experience. And as a stoic, you can sit there and, and think, well, yeah, I don't need anything. I actually am happiest when I desire less. And yes, that is that in a way is absolutely true. But their idea around it is you will own nothing and you will be happy, which is um, this illusion of, you know, providing everything for you in a temporary manner. You don't have to own anything. If you want something, you can have it for a short period of time and then, you know, give it back and you go and do something else or you, or you receive something else, but none of it will be yours uh, for you personally. Something along the lines of that, honestly, it, it sounds very difficult in con even in concept to figure out, okay, how would this even work? This makes no sense. And I, and I think that there was some discussions around um, like tracking what you spend your money on. So, um, especially with this, this, uh, these arguments about the, the extreme wealth of, that some people have, they go out and just buy frivolously on anything that they want. And um, instead of making people jealous or making people feel less than because they can't get what these people have, or, or on the other side, why are these people even buying more? Uh, this is what is creating their own greed. How about we control what people are purchasing? And again, it's it's an interesting topic to bring up. I suppose the biggest thing is for for me and a practicing Stoic is like that. That's definitely heavy in this, you know, desire for control. I mean. First of all, who who am I and who are these people to say that they know how much we need or how much other people need? Um, who who are they to, to even control that aspect of life? You know, if I want something and I want more of it, as long as I'm not doing it in a way to hurt myself, I personally won't do things in excess. But whether or not somebody else wants to is none of my business. 
That's their life because I can't solve their problems, nor should I even, you know, uh, fill up my mental space with trying to solve their problems. That's their journey. That's their thing to resolve. And not only that, but to put a cap or put this idea on how much people need, who are you to even know how much I need? I mean, we argue today <clears throat> about what is what are the necessities of life. I mean, now that we're getting into a world of excess, at least here in the United States and many other parts of the world too, we live in a point of excess to where now what I think is the minimum, somebody else doesn't agree with that or somebody else thinks they need more. I mean, I mean, even just the, the wage conversation is like this whole idea of like, oh, people need a living wage. It's like, okay, well, define that. What does that mean? What does that mean? And not only that, but what is what is the number? Because you can't just throw around this arbitrary um, living wage or this thing that, that fits on a bumper sticker. Like, these slogans don't help anybody. We need to have objective discussions about what we need individually and for us to actually create and, you know, uh, formulate plans to provide things or, or to set regulations, set policies. And so when these group of people kind of sit down and talk about <laughs> talk about what what I need as an individual, as though what I need is the same as what my neighbor needs. Like, I, I think that idea is just so ridiculous. It ha it, it's rooted in control and desire. And as a stoic, that's kind of where I draw a line, too. I'm like, OK, that sounds nice. You know, sure, we have to control other people's desires because they're cl it's clearly in excess right now. OK, let's roll with that, you know, like. But at the end of the day, as a stoic, I also have to sit down and, and say, OK, well, we c I can think that. But at the same time, I cannot allow my desire for control dictate my decision making. I shouldn't be voting for policies at all that dictate uh, or, or control another person's life. That's the big thing that, that, that as a stoic, we kind of have to sit down with ourselves and think about. Okay, I don't know the greater good. You know, that's why the Stoics also disagreed with one another. Nobody knew the absolute greater good. And especially since we're moving throughout society right now where we are living in excess a little bit and we are solving a lot of problems and then more problems are also coming up. At the end of the day, nobody truly knows what that greater good is, you know, because what we've come to find is a lot of laws and a lot of policies that are in place, that were in place to begin with because of the greater good, have actually harmed a lot of people too. So no, we don't, we don't understand this. We don't truly know how to solve all the world's problems. And, and to be quite honest, these, these are kind of first world problems. These are, for us to be sitting back and thinking, oh, this person, this person of wealth has excess. What a first world problem Thing to think about what privilege you have to even sit there and think that person has too much I want more you know it's it's rooted in control and I don't necessarily agree with that and that's kind of where this whole great reset thing kind of bugs me a little bit because here's the thing 
let let's stop with the whole world aspect of it, right? And and let's look at it with just you and your community. You and your neighbor. Go even smaller. You and your neighbor. If you actually talk with your neighbors, I'm sure you, you know, get to talking about their personal problems. Um their own financial problems, um, whatever's going on in their world and things like that. And you come to find out that in a way, you can't solve all of your neighbor's problems. And the thing is, you could sit there and give them the greatest advice and whatnot. And you know, maybe you know exactly what they should do. At the end of the day, what is the major determining factor for them to action for them to get through that bad situation or to solve their problems it's them it's their neighbor it's that person they have to solve their own problems too you know so no you can't solve all their problems because there still is that gate that gate is that other person accepting it and actually doing it so it's you can't control people and their decision making. So no, you can't solve your neighbor's problems. So if you can't solve your neighbor's problems right now, then you shouldn't be acting like you think a specific law will help them. That's not the way things work. You know, you and nothing, nothing ever good comes from force. Even the Stoics have said this. Seneca, Epictetus have, have said this as well. Nothing good comes from force. The biggest thing that I always try to tell people when it comes to government is the government cannot and shouldn't try to control people. The And the only way that you can actually help people is to incentivize them or to decentivize them. That's it. Because at the end of the day, the thing that you can never control is their response to things. Yes, crime is illegal. Stealing is illegal. That doesn't stop people from doing it. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. You can only decentivize people. And um, on top of that, um, I believe it was Aristotle or, or Plato. He also ha had said a lot of these laws that, that are that go and get in place is really for, let's call it just like evil people, because people who are good, people who are morally um, sound, they don't need that many laws because they have a good moral, uh, moral ground, you know, in their mind. They have a good head on their shoulders. So a lot of laws are just to deter the bad people, the people who will do things in excess, the people who will be greedy, you know. So all you can do is incentivize and decentivize. But this idea of a great reset is a, a little perplexing to me because, again, I don't think that as Stoics, it's just of me to sit here and think that, yes, the world needs a reset and we all need to start controlling our desires. We we all need to start controlling and deciding what we should be controlling of one another. That's not justice. That's not even moderation. Because what I think should be controlled or what I think is something that should be moderated is going to be different than yours. So, and again, it's one of those things where like, you can't control people and, and, and you also can't solve all of the world's problems, unfortunately, because there's the gate. There's that gate where once you implement a law, once you give somebody advice, at the end of the day, 
It's their choice on whether or not they're still going to do it or not. So no, nothing will, no law or policy or advice will truly help solve, for example, world hunger. That's just not how it works. That is the reality of the world. So this whole Great Reset thing is a very, I see it as a bumper sticker topic. You just see it on a car, but does it hold any weight? No, I don't think it does. It doesn't. There, there's too many moving factors and too many um, decisions and, and very few people that you're trying to allow to gain control over billions. That, that, that's just too complex for us to understand. So I just wanted to get that out of the way because the, the, the Great Reset, I've been hearing all about it and it's really... Again, it's really perplexing to me. It doesn't really make any sense, but it sounded like an interesting thing because it, it dives into um, stoicism as far as desire for control, moderation, what is justice, um, wisdom, you know, all, all of the virtues really come into play. And a lot of them, you know, you think you're being moderate and then like, oh, wait, no, now I'm not being just. Hold on. I have to go back to being moderate again, moderating my thoughts and what I'm saying to remember that I have to act with justice. <laughs> or, or if you think of justice, oh, no, that many people doesn't need that many. Okay, well, hold on, I have to moderate myself now. Who am I to even say that? So it's, a, it's an interesting um, um, topic because it kind of you you spar with your own thoughts and you spar with those who are even bringing up these ideas of what is best for society. But alas, only time will tell. <laughs> so the last thing that I wanted to talk about was uh, the recent um, shootings that did happen. And, and my thoughts and prayers do go out to those who were impacted by the horror of, of the recent mass shooting. But over at uh, Rob's school, I'm sure everybody's pretty well aware that these, um, you know, a, a school shooter or a shooter went in and, and uh, unfortunately killed a number of children. And it really brings up an interesting discussion because it happens to be talking about, um, I think, a couple of things. One, mental health. Two, uh, gun laws. Um, and I, I think that, you know, it's something that we need to have an open discussion about. And I've thought about it and, and had, a, had a number of things to discuss about it. So obviously we can all agree that school shootings are absolutely terrible. And the thing is, the person who got them, who, who, were, who was a part of this Rob school shooting, actually illegally obtained them to begin with. So that this idea that we should be banning guns simply just won't work since, you know, he got them illegally. Um, there was already a law in place to begin with that prevented him from trying to get those kind of guns, and yet he still got it. So just acting like slapping a, a law on the books and or removing more guns from society, acting like that will actually protect people is quite... It's an interesting leap, to say the least. That's that's not really how it works. Um, and I... I I, I heard a couple of people talking about this, and this also um, interested me. And it was um, the things that we protect today. I mean, we, we protect the White House. We protect the banks. We protect politicians. We go to events, and they're protected with guns. But when you go to a school, 
um, there's just a sign that hangs outside that says gun-free zone. I mean, I think it, it, it holds a bigger question for us, which is to say that there are evil people in the world and evil people want to do evil things. So there's a bit of a mental discussion that we also need to have as well. But I do think that um, just turning a blind eye to the reality of humanity, which is that humanity has o- has always had their bad apples, has always had horrific societies. Um, it's It's illogical to think that removing guns or or plastering gun-free zone is actually going to going to um stop gun violence altogether. And I think that that's an interesting thing to really think about. So then it it, uh, it brings up a bigger question then. The bigger question is why do we have a gun issue to begin with then, right? And like I said, I brought up a couple of points, but like it it's not because we have guns to begin with. I mean, more people, if, if we really want to talk about, oh, guns kill so many people, it's like, okay, well, more people die every year from knife violence. But we don't see, we don't say anything about a knife problem, now do we? In, in a way, it's a bit of a political stretch, in my opinion, uh, to use gun violence as a way to stroke the egos of particular politicians. It makes no sense to me. I mean, again, it's a reality. If uh, if gun violence isn't happening, okay, well, then it's knife violence. Why? Because evil people will do evil things. That's that's the reality of the world. Um, and taking away guns won't solve the gun problem if the majority of gun violence is also perpetrated by people who obtain their guns illegally. It makes no sense to take away the guns from law-abiding citizens. And yes, there exists gun violence with people who obtain them legally, but that accounts for such a lower number than the total gun violence. And not only that, but um, in the United States, we're one of the only countries that actually count suicide by gun as gun violence as part of that that overall statistic of how many people die from guns a year. So, And that's about 70-something percent of the people, I think the high 70s, of people who off themselves. And we count that in into the whole statistic of the percentage of gun violence in the United States. So the how we look at the data is also extremely important. This deals with um, the virtue of wisdom. We have to sit back and think, okay, do I have all the information that I need to make an educated decision, to make a wise decision? If I don't want to listen to one side uh, of the of the conversation, then I'm not acting wise, nor am I acting justly, nor am I being moderate with myself. So we have to sit back and think and look at things objectively, especially when it comes to laws that not only impact me in the way that I want reality to be, but it'll also impact the way that my neighbor's reality will be or the next state's reality will be. I mean, we all are our countrymen, regardless if you hate people in the Midwest, regardless if you hate people in the South, it doesn't it doesn't change the fact that you're an American. I'm an American. We are Americans. That doesn't change that fact. So. Again, taking away guns won't really solve that problem. So then, again, the question is, so why do we have um, gun violence then, right? See, the, the, the big thing that I like to think about is the goal is to view the reality of humans and the world. We can't expect people to just be good when everybody is capable of extreme evil. 
we can't expect gun violence to go down if the majority are done with illegal guns. And another thing that I also thought about, and I personally err on the side of like a mental and or societal shift that really is causing this issue. Because if we think about it, since the inception of the Second Amendment, which is the right to bear arms, there were few mass shootings, even though regulations got stricter beginning in the 80s. So think about that. Since the inception of the, uh, of the United States, the Second Amendment right to, the right to bear arms, the number of mass shootings was actually extremely low. Very, very, very low. It was like close to none. And it got stricter beginning in the 80s because there was more mass shootings that began to take place. So it doesn't make sense that the right to bear arms is the problem either. There is another problem that we are not seeing, that we are refusing to even try to talk about. We're making it a gun thing, whereas it's clearly a human thing. We need to figure out, okay, so what is the cause of it? What is the root? Why are people deciding to do these evil things anyway? I think that's the thing that we need to discuss. It could be, again, it could be a mental health issue. It could be, I don't know, the, the way the media portrays one another and the world as though it's hell on earth. Maybe people are getting too depressed and too bleak and seeing the world in, with um, black glasses, thinking there's no hope, you know. It could be the constant comparison of beauty and desirability. I don't know. Right. Making people feel sad about themselves. So they feel like they have to go and do something horrific. It could be the excess that is compared that is causing people to grow anger and disdain for society. You know, it could outright jealousy. You know, I don't know. I really don't know. And I don't think that we've um, I don't think that we've actually as a society sat down and thought about that. I think it just gets thrown around every now and again. But only in individual instances. It's not discussed as like, hey guys, we have an issue with people doing this. We have to stop the reasoning behind it. Not just outright removing guns. That makes no sense. You remove guns, the knife violence is still going to exist. You remove the, knife, the knives throughout society, people are still going to fight each other. You remove, you know, I don't know, isolate people. Okay, well, there's still going to be drunk people, you know, causing car accidents. So evil people will do evil things. It's not about whether or not they have a, 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 a type of weapon or not, you know. I think that's so it, it, there's clearly a, a picture or a side of things that we're not seeing. And we need in, in this moment in society to be wise to be moderate, to be just, to kind of sit back and be courageous in, in discussing this, kind of to sit back and think there is a bigger picture that we're not seeing and we need to address this. So that's what I think when it comes to this whole thing. I mean, again, it, it's horrific and um, everybody's emotionally charged about that. But you don't you have to remember that as Stoics, we do things with a clear mind once we have addressed all of our virtues and making sure we're act, acting virtuously. You don't do things out of anger. You don't do things out of disdain. You don't do things out of frustration. You don't do them like that. 
As Stoics, we have to sit back, look at things objectively. We can accept that we feel sad. We can accept that we feel anger. We can accept that we feel sadness. But we don't make decisions on that. We have to accept those emotions as part of being a human and then think, okay, now what is the best course of action? Not just a good one. A good idea is to remove guns. But that's not the best idea. There is a better one. But we have to sit down objectively and talk about it. Not with emotion, or at least not with too much emotion. I mean, emotion is the thing that brought us into this conversation. But we need to, to accept those feelings, set it down, and speak objectively and logically about the reality of the situation so we can create the best outcomes for, for society, not just good ones. So I hope you guys enjoyed those discussions. And again, it's not these discussions aren't really about taking a side. That's not really what I'm trying to do. I'm just proposing questions and and trying to provoke thought because again, we need to we need to learn how to think. I mean, a, a lot of these politicians will just say, this is the best course of action. This is the best course of action. But those sometimes aren't always the best way to go about it. We need to we need to think for ourselves because we, each of us, have that capability to do so. I, I believe in every single one of us that we have the smarts to do it, so to speak. <laughs> so thank you all for listening in and... Uh, I know these are heated topics, but I thank you for continuing to listen to what I have to say about this, and I look forward to the next Stoic Talks. And with that, my fellow Stoics, thank you so much for listening in. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. It really does help out the show. If you would like to check out some Stoic Sage merch or read the blog, please go to stoicsage.co. Also, give us a follow on Instagram and Facebook. I wish you well, fellow Stoics, on your path to sagehood.